Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Shamrock at Midseason, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I'm Pete Sampson, back from my not that harrowing but very long drive from Blacksburg uh, to South Bend. Joined as always by Matt Fortuna. We're going to do a little uh, midseason review of the Irish. Um, but Matt, uh, your your bye week plans are way more exciting than mine. So why don't you uh, clue our listeners in on uh, where you're headed on Saturday? People must have listened late Saturday night because I got a text from our uh, colleague Doug Farmer saying, "When you're in Vegas, bet on this game, this game, and this game." Brother getting married, <laughs> going out to Vegas Wednesday night through the rest of the weekend. Notre uh, Dame has an open date, so that was conveniently um, planned. I wish I could say planned, but it, it was a, a stroke of fortune in the Fortuna household and. Uh, it looks like it's not the most exciting slate of college football games on paper, which means that it will be absolutely chaotic uh, the way this past weekend was. I think there are only two meetings between top 25 teams, one of which involves a two-loss Texas team. But that means there might be money to be made while I'm uh, out there at the casino. So we shall see. You know it. Yeah, it's uh, probably a little more exciting than me watching youth soccer on Saturday afternoon. But considering I've missed every single one of my son's games so far, I'm really looking forward to just kind of hanging out. There, there's, um, I'm sure there's a line for that in Vegas as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, their shirts are uh, South Bend Orthopedic sponsored. That's like sort of the company on the logo. So they call themselves the Bone Crushers, which Ooh, like the kids good. don't get the irony of that at wow. all. But that's, that's second grade humor for you. Um, Notre Dame in midseason. Irish are five and one, ranked in the top fifteen. Um, I think that we could correctly say that we both felt like this was about Notre, where, exactly where Notre Dame would be. However, I don't think either of us thought this is how Notre Dame would get here. Um, we've got a handful of categories to run through, and then we'll we'll get into more a little more granular detail in the second half of the season. But I guess the fir- the first category I want to hit best surprise of the season. Yeah, this is uh, it's like the math problem in school where they say you have to show your work when you get your answer. We're yeah, not showing our I work. Could not, we, I, I couldn't show Brian Kelly's work on this one. Yeah, no, neither could I. Best surprise. Uh, can I say the secondary outside of Kyle Hamilton? Um, it's our podcast. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, we all thought Kyle Hamilton would be good, and he's been very good. Um, I wasn't sure everyone around him would play as well as they have so far. Um, I think Cam Hart's had a good season. Uh, I think some of the pieces that we thought would be vulnerabilities have not been vulnerabilities. And as far as surprises go, I mean, that has to be it. At least not it, but that has to be the answer for me um, in the good surprise department. Um, Because I think the players we expected to be good, for the most part, have played good. Um, Mm -hmm. So i got to go to the secondary. I I wrote down Cam Hart, but I... Just a, a, a really small sample size, but Joe Alt to me mm-hmm. uh, would go down as probably the best surprise based on 
look, I understand he started one game, but he's played in a handful of them. The fact that your second choice freshman left tackle would come in and actually play well uh, in a road spot is is pretty shocking. I mean, that that's that's usually where you have to change your entire offense because you're that far down the depth chart. So the, the fact that Notre Dame has a fourth choice and second choice true freshman at left tackle and he played as well as he did on Saturday night and is somebody that the coaching staff, I think probably to both of us in the offseason felt like this guy is going to be really, really good in 22 or 23, um, not in October of 21. So to me, Joe, I'll, I'll, I'll tab him as the best surprise, which is an interesting dovetail into the obvious follow-up to best surprise, which is worst surprise. Yeah, well, I think you're a little generous giving best surprise the guy who started one game, but <laughs> at least at left tackle. Worst surprise, Joel's unit, uh, the offensive yes. line. Did not see that coming. Um, no, I mean, this is it's. there's not even – I don't even know what you could put in the category uh, for worst surprise with the offensive line. I think you're really – you're trying to be too cute by half if you come up with anything other than that group because it's like, I think, look, we all thought they would take a big step back, but the, it, the group fell off a cliff until Saturday night, um, at which point it is starting a very long climb back to respectability. It's like, I mean, I wrote this in my final thoughts. Like, Notre Dame didn't need a good offensive line. They needed a below average by Notre Dame standards offensive line for this offense to be really good, and they – they haven't even come close to getting that until Saturday. I think what you saw, you saw on Saturday what average offensive line play could give you. It can give you 32 points on the road playing a true freshman quarterback with a true freshman running back, two true freshman receivers, two true freshman tight ends, and without your best player on offense, Michael Mayer. So that's that's all they need. They, they just need to be below average by Notre Dame standards, which means above average by everyone else's standards. Um, but they haven't. Haven't even really come close to that until Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you have to really stretch to say anything other than the offensive line. I mean, you could say quarterback play in general, but I think that's a direct byproduct of the poor offensive line play. Yeah. I don't think the receivers have been particularly great, but again, it's a different category altogether than just how disappointing this offensive line has been. And again, I'll give you the caveat of four different left tackle, starting left tackles through six games. Uh, I still thought Kay Maddox would be better. I thought Zeke Rell would be better. Um, I thought really all of them, except for maybe Jared Patterson, would be better. And that just has not been the case for the most part over the first six games of the season. And it's it's hard to think of a part of this program that that hasn't affected negatively and why there's still so much uncertainty in this football team coming out of the first half of the season where they won five of their first six games and will probably be favored in their final six games. I think it goes back to something that Brian Kelly told me this summer, that they have to play defense differently because the offensive structure is not where it's been over the last three, four years, where this is this team's not built to go 12 plays, 82 yards in six minutes and 47 seconds, like because the offensive line is not built to do that. So what do you have to do? You, defensively, you have to take more chances. you got to try to create more turnovers, which they've, they've been able to do. Um but that's just sort of an example of something to your point where the offensive line play has affected every single little thing that they do. Um, it's certainly affected Tommy Reese as a play caller, but it's affected Marcus Freeman as well. Defining stat. It's, it's funny you bring that up because I was going to add to 
um, the offensive line play with some numbers. My defining set is related to the okay. offensive Well, I've got line three for you pulled up right here. Despite all those good things we just talked about that they did against Virginia Tech, Notre Dame still ranks 118th nationally in rushing at 97.3 yards per game. They still rank 125th nationally in tackles for loss allowed uh, with eight per game. And they still rank 127th nationally in sacks allowed at four per game. Um, like, that's just bad. Like, you should never be behind UConn and UMass in every one of those categories. Like, you should not be the worst independent team in the country at protecting your quarterback or running the football. And yet, here we are, despite all that star power on offense, saying this about Notre Dame football six games in. That's, you know, you said 125, and I was like, oh, he stole my stat. But I actually had a different 125th ranked <laughs> oh, okay. stat related to the offensive line, which was yards per carry. At 2.77, dead last in the Power Five. Um, the only teams worse are Southern Miss, Boise State, Louisiana Monroe, and Bowling Green. That's it. Those are the only teams with a worse yards per carry than Notre Dame. Um, so that, I mean, that is incredible in terms of the fact that they are 5-1 and one without a functional run game. Um you know, what they did on Saturday night, I think they were at about 180 yards, which was like a freaking breakout performance, but below average. I, I believe it's below average in three of the previous four seasons and three yards above the average of the worst average rushing season total of the last four years. Um, of Notre Dame so or of college football? Of, of Notre Dame. Okay. Yeah. Notre Dame has been, you know, 180 is their season best by far. And that would be a subpar performance over the last four years. So, again, it sort of gets back to Notre Dame just needs subpar offensive line play by its own standards, and the offense will be fine. Um, they got that on Saturday night. But it's it's they are so far down the mountain in the rushing production that I, I believe I did the math on this earlier where, like, if they average 180 yards per game the rest of the season, I believe it would end up being the second worst rushing offense of the Brian Kelly era. Um, which is just that's how bad it was over the first five games of the year. It's you you just don't come all the way back from that. By the way, not not to go too far off into a tangent. Did you hear Urban Meyer's comments yesterday about Jacksonville's run game? Uh, oh, was that the I want to be 250, 250? Yeah. yeah, just like nice, nice goal. You're not coaching in college team. anymore. Sorry, <laughs> like you don't get to play Akron. <laughs> Well, that's it for Urban Meyer. That's it for John Gruden. That's it for Kyrie Irving. Not going to mention any of those three <laughs> wonderful individuals who have been in the news a lot lately. We're focusing on uh, Notre Dame here. Um, that includes you, Notre Dame fans. Next time you say, let's hire Urban Meyer after a loss. Or John Gruden. Um, uh, yeah, good point. South Bend native. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a bad week for former Notre Dame message board dream coaching candidates. Um, <laughs> good week. They could be available. Go yeah. on. <laughs> Breakout player of the season. Uh, does Fosky count? Fosky does count. I would give you Fosky. I'm going, Fos- I'm going Fosky. Okay. I mean, I, I, he wasn't. He was a known commodity coming into the year, so I was hesitant to call him breakout, but I think he's had a damn good year. Yeah, I mean, he's somebody that I think the coaching staff was like, uh, we're going to see this? Like, is he going to turn this right. on or not? Um, you know, I think there was some internal skepticism at Notre Dame about where, eh, skepticism might be too strong, but it, just sort of a like, okay, 
you look like a million bucks. Let's let's start playing like a million bucks every day, not just some days. And I think he's he's much much closer to the everyday. Like I think there's been a mat- uh, maturation for him that has been obviously good for the defense. And you know he looks he looks like the future pro that he looked like in a uniform. Now he looks like a future pro in uniform while playing. Um, so that's it's a big step. I'll go Kevin Austin because. For how much we've talked about him and I've written about him, guy hadn't done anything uh, until this season. You know, has he been great all six games? No. Two two games he was completely anonymous. Um, one sort of in his own head, the other one put there by Sauce Gardner. But, I mean, the two-point conversion, the catches at Florida State, uh, you know, two touchdowns at Wisconsin. Um, you know, is he... Claypool, senior level, no, but he's he's sort of given Notre Dame the alternative to Kyron Williams and Michael Mayer that they're just so desperately needed. Uh, and he, yeah, and just like the two point conversion catch on Saturday night was completely ridiculous while he's having his face mask ripped off by a Virginia Tech player. It's interesting. I would not have put him as breakout just because I think we put way too much all, you know, everyone, the, the Notre Dame community, media fans, coaches, whoever. Uh, put way too much into like, all right, like finally it's going to all click. And this is the guy we've been waiting to see. And he hasn't really played in three years, but here we go. And he's certainly shown flashes of that, but he's also had so many head scratching moments. Yeah. Um, that like, it, it's nice to have that deep threat on there that you have to defend. I would say Avery Davis has been the most reliable receiver of the group by far. I would so too. Far yeah. This season. Yeah. It's just like with Austin, you're getting sort of a boomer bust, uh, production but before they were getting nothing like it was just zero so and they haven't last year i don't feel like they had a guy that would go up and just make a play out of nothing um which isn't to say that austin makes that play every time but stuff good stuff's happening with him um but you know if we asked this last year who would we say we'd say kyron williams like the breakout of kevin austin is not in the same discussion as what kyron williams was last year I would just say he's the guy that has sort of delivered on some promise, not 100% of it, but a lot of it, um, and God knows Notre Dame has needed it. Um, a lot of candidates for this one. Best play of the season. Play? Best play. Uh, Hamilton's, I think it was the first pick against Florida State, or maybe the second. I think it was the second pick. Second? Uh, or the one where he the, literally went. I, as I say that, I'm like, well, actually, you know, the stop against uh, – Purdue on fourth and goal was pretty amazing too. But the the, the ground he covered um, on that Florida State pick uh, before going out of bounds uh, is one that's still etched in my memory above all others. Yeah, I think that that would definitely get the, for physical brilliance, the best play. I'd say like the most impactful play, which would be a different version of best, would be Tyree's kickoff return at Wisconsin. Because uh, I do think that game was getting away from Notre Dame as bad as Wisconsin actually is. I don't think Notre Dame sort of had the answers to turn that around. And then just the entire vibe in that stadium changed. Um, Because, like, Wisconsin just goes down and scores. They feel good about themselves for the first time all game. That was before Jack Cohn had got hurt. No, I think it it was after. Yeah, no, you're right. It was after. Yeah, Drew Pine was in the game at that point. So you're feeling a little bit ominous about, like, what are Notre Dame's chances? Like, the pressure would have felt completely different. Wisconsin absolutely crumbles from there. Um, Notre Dame sort of cruises to the to the win at that point, but uh, that's it's amazing to me. I have to go back and look to see when's the last time, like 
the max, the most number of fourth quarter comebacks by Notre Dame in a season. Because I can't imagine that we haven't already matched it with three, which doesn't include the Florida State Florida, game. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you're losing or tied in the fourth quarter of four of your six games is is pretty remarkable. I mean, even 2012, they didn't. I'm sorry, five game until They were losing in the fourth quarter of Cincinnati. They just didn't come back to win. The 2012 season, as skittish as that was week to week, they were still. I don't think they had a deficit in a game until Stanford halfway through the year. Um, I mean, off memory, like, well, uh, yeah. Up, like, yeah, I think you're probably the right. 2012. Yeah, they didn't trail for like a month. Um, yeah, I mean, those Quinn Samarja years, I feel like they pulled a few out of their behind in the fourth quarter against UCLA, against Michigan State. Um, yeah, I can't tell you every single one of them off the top of my head. It was so long ago and I wasn't covering the program. You were, though. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they don't uh, – this group has lived dangerously in a way that a lot of previous successful Notre Dame teams have not. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, It definitely feels like a different vibe. Because, like, even – I'm just looking back at the, the Purdue – Looking back at the Purdue game from 2012, um, you know they were. I don't think they were ever losing that game, but it was tied in the fourth quarter before they went down and kicked the uh, the game-winning field goal. So it's losing is that's different. Um, I mean, they were down eight at Virginia Tech with four minutes to go. Like that's that's a pretty high bar to clear um, as far as a comeback goes. Um, so it's. They, it feels like they're yeah living dangerously a little bit differently, but that's like that's why I feel like the Tyree one that as a singular play that like flipped an entire game when Notre Dame absolutely needed it. Well, I just got to thinking about it now as you said it. 2015, I mean Virginia, they're mm-hmm. losing until Kaiser comes in. Temple, they were losing until Fuller got a long touchdown. Um, USC, they were losing in the fourth quarter. I know they ended up winning by ten, but that technically counts as a comeback win. Um, that's three off the top of my head. There might have been others. Definitely wasn't Texas um, or no. Georgia Tech that year. But, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's three right there, but that's still not as uh, impressive or as crazy, for lack of a better Yeah, three and, three and six, and really it's four, because, like, technically Florida State counts, um, <laughs> or it should, as a, as a fourth quarter co- or, you know, comeback in overtime. Um, biggest question the rest of the way. Quarterbacks, like just general, like one word, quarterbacks. Like, <laughs> how does that shake itself out? You don't know it. I don't know it. Those three guys don't know it. Brian Kelly doesn't know it. Um, if none of us know it, that's to me, like we could say, will the offensive line get better? What can they do if the offensive line gets better? But like, that's still a bigger, that, that's a more open-ended question that's dependent on multiple moving parts than simply like the guy who has the ball in his hands every single play. Yeah, it's I'll change it up just because well, one quarterback is by far the biggest question. But like how Notre Dame balances the rest of 2021 versus 2022. Um, Logan Diggs does he get more work? Joe Alt does he in the see in the starting lineup? Do they you know force feed Colsey and Styles more? Uh, and it was interesting to sort of hear Brian Kelly talk about that on Saturday night because it's something that probably a lot of the listeners of this podcast and subscribers to the Athletic have read the reference of comments or tweeted at me like 
this season is over, yada, yada. Like, that's, that is ridiculous. But Brian Kelly definitely is looking at how does, how can we prepare not only for 2022, but because we may need this in 2021. They, you know, they may need Styles Colsey to do more in November of this year, which would help them in Columbus next year. They may, they're certainly going to play Buckner a hell of a lot more moving forward, which likely helps them in, you know, when they have to host Clemson next season. So I, that, that balancing act is really interesting to me because it's, this, it feels like the program is in a little bit of a transition state, yet at the same time, Kyron Williams is gone, Kyle Hamilton is gone, Jared eh, Patterson gone, maybe not, but like you're going to lose like your two best players, um, or two of your three best players. Mayor obviously returns, but um, it's uh, how you can sort of develop the freshman class with an eye on the future, you know, Rocco Spindler, Prince Collie, guys of that nature who haven't played a whole lot. Are, is there work for them? Like Collie in particular is interesting to me because I think they're, you know, JD Bertrand is getting so much work that's going to catch up with him into October and November. So I'm, I'm interested to sort of see how they continue to nudge the freshman class along. Um, but part of that gets to what the actual biggest question is quarterback. Cause They've got a freshman quarterback who's pretty good. But every scenario you just brought up, I still look at as obviously there are long-term implications of them because you're playing young guys who might not be ready, but these are all necessary substitutions, necessary reliefs for the starters. Like yeah. I don't look at it as like pulling the plug on anything. No. Um, they, they have what, five scholarship receivers left? on the roster right now like you're gonna six. have to play all of them. Yeah. six i'm sorry yeah what but one of, the other one that you're forgetting is Jaden thomas who's a freshman right like so that that only bolsters your point more like you have to play these guys this year to win um to protect your guys for down the road this year and obviously a good byproduct of that is getting experience for next year tyler buckner getting road interceptions out of his system as negative as that sounds like that's the reality of the situation like the reason he didn't start in Lane Stadium. Like, that's a really tough place for anyone to play, let alone a true freshman who's never started a game. And we saw why on Saturday night. So I don't – I get how this affects next year, but I still think, like, there's still so much to play for. It's such a crazy year that um, – I don't know, maybe it's just a phrasing of it. Like, they're, they're 14th in the country right now in the AP poll. Like, if they win out and, like – it's not as easy as saying, all right, they're going to go 6-0. But when you look at all those games individually, they'll probably be favored in each of them. 11-1, what's that going to get you this year? I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Uh, if Cincinnati loses, maybe that gets you a playoff spot. I mean, the teams in front of Notre Dame right now, the AP poll, and I know this is different than the CFP poll, which will come out later, but you've got five Big Ten teams ahead of them. Three of them are still going to lose a game between now and then. Because four of them got to play each other. So, yeah, it's Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State. All four of them still have to play the other three, other. correct? Yes. So that's going to take care of itself. Kentucky 6-0. They play Georgia this week. I think we could count that as loss. <laughs> Ole Miss is 4-1 and ahead of Notre Dame. They've still got to play Alabama and everyone else in the SEC West. No, they already lost to Alabama. Oh, they did lose. I'm yeah. sorry. Sorry, you're right. But they still have – like, they're going to lose. Yes. A game. Again, I'm pretty confident saying um, and I mean Oklahoma State and Oklahoma one of those teams is going to lose um, probably multiple times in the case of one of them so I just think 
you do the math, and I know this isn't a math project, but it is a uh, you're trying to, to paint a scenario forward for the rest of the season. Eleven and one can get you a wide range of things this year, and that's not always the case um, when you're Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, you sort of look at the rest of the way and do. I don't think Notre Dame has a even a good shot at making the playoff at eleven and one, but. I wouldn't say good, but it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. But again, like, what would a good season for Notre Dame be? Like, I always felt like ten and two in a New Year's Six game would have felt like a really good season. Now you got a chance, or a good one, to go eleven and one and make it to a New Year's Six game. Like, I don't. I'll be interested to sort of see how Notre Dame reacts to that. Um, I've been, I think, surprised by some of the fan reactions so far this season about about like. Mortgage this season, build for next. I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, but if you go, if you make it to your six game at 11 and one or 10 and two, I mean, that's especially, I think, I do think you have to win that game. Um, I would do not want to see Notre Dame go to a New Year's six bowl and then draw NC State or Wake Forest or, or Pitt. Well, maybe Pitt. Pitt would be fun. Um, but you know, it's like those three possible ACC champions you just mentioned. By hooray! Uh, but like to go double-digit wins and make a New Year's Six thing, but that's a good season. Like the playoff stuff, man, you got really got to have some convoluted um, results to make that happen. But I mean, I've always felt like, hey, good seasons for Notre Dame when the first playout playoff dog and pony show comes up on ESPN. Notre Dame is a talking point in it. Like that's happening this year. So that's. That, I don't know if it's happening in two weeks or whenever the first. Uh, it's, it looks like November. Uh, oh, it's November. Oh, yeah, it's like the maybe. first Tuesday in November. Like Notre Dame will be a point of conversation. Um, doesn't mean they're mm. going to make the playoff. They probably won't. But they they will flash on the screen uh, in the top fifteen, probably the top twelve by that point. Because we're, we're three weeks away from that. Um, so like Notre Dame should have wins over USC and North Carolina by that point. They'd be sitting there at seven and one, maybe at the bottom of the top ten. Like Reese Davis will say Notre Dame number whatever. Um, it's just good to be in that conversation, even if you're not going to make the playoff. It is. I, I'll. I guess it's far enough away where enough teams in front of them will lose because I think all, that entire conversation now is dependent upon other teams falling, which will no question about it. Yeah, Notre Dame, like, and, and nor do I think Notre Dame even has a chance to do. Like, Notre Dame cannot do enough on its own to make the playoff. Like, there's not an argument for Notre Dame in the playoff without a ton of help elsewhere, just because, like, what would your best win be? Right. That was, I mean, the last Virginia? time they were staring at this scenario, 15. Yeah. Um, you know, if Stanford misses a field goal, or Notre Dame doesn't allow them to get in field goal range. Even Jack Swarbrick, I remember seeing on ESPN after saying, like, I think they would have taken Oklahoma over us. We were both 11-1, yeah. and, and they had the conference championship. Like, that matters. To And I think Notre Dame them. was, like, fine with that. Like, uh, I don't kind know. Of that, like, was a year, that was a year they smoked Texas, and Texas handed Oklahoma their only loss. Like, yeah. there's a solid argument to be made on both sides there. And right. Understandable I, frustration. I just don't think sides, Notre Dame's but. reaction to being left out that year would have been similar to, like, say, A&M being left out last year over Notre Dame where like it was shrill. Um I don't know. I mean there was the only people who thought AM belonged last year were AM fans. Yeah. They were just really like, loud about it. I think 
15, like the number one seed that year was Clemson. Notre Dame was a two-point conversion away from sending that game to overtime yeah. after playing terrible for two and a half quarters. Uh, they would have beaten a Stanford team that was going to the Rose Bowl that year anyway, and as we saw, absolutely destroyed Iowa. That was a really good team that dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, you could easily make – that would have been a compelling back and forth versus Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I think, would have made it in the committee's eyes, but I would understand the frustration uh, on Notre Dame's fan base and Notre Dame's administration if they got left out. This year, I mean, there, obviously there's such a long season to play. There's been so much chaos already, but like a two-loss Alabama could get in and could get in over a one-loss Notre Dame this year. Yeah. Theoretically. I mean, if Alabama loses another, I'm trying to play it out in my head how it would happen. I mean, they lose to Georgia in the SEC title game and Georgia's undefeated. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see a scenario where that happens. I could too. Um, yeah, that's that's not hard to imagine. And like, I don't think either of us could sit there and like pound the table for Notre Dame to make it at 11-1 over 10-2 Alabama. Could you? Like, if they, if they lost to Georgia I'd, like 27-26. I'd, I'd have to see the resume. I mean, like Alabama's Alabama, but like, They've played two true road games, and they probably should have lost both of them. Like, maybe this isn't that great of an Alabama team. I don't know. I mean, they've still got incredible players, and they're still capable of beating anyone uh, any day of the week. But, I mean, what if could a two-loss – theoretically, a two-loss Ohio State could still win the Big Ten. And if they – if all those East teams cannibalize each other. Yeah. And if they beat an undefeated Iowa and have a Big Ten title, um, you know – label under the resume that's probably a more preferable team in the committee's eyes than 11 and 1 Notre Dame given who Ohio State would have yeah, beaten they w- and even lost they have a win there. over ranked teams um, yeah. and, and Notre Dame is unlikely to have one but you know it's just the, the eye test of Notre Dame this season like I think they're getting a lot out of what they have like this is this is not one of those like we've all covered we you know you know I've covered Notre Dame teams where you're like this team might have a shot at it, like winning it all. Like this isn't one of those teams. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, this team is like holding it together and I, I think in a lot of ways overachieving. Like if Notre Dame goes 11-1, and one, I will absolutely be writing some sort of takeaways column, whatever, after the Stanford game that includes the phrase, this might be Brian Kelly's best coaching job. Like that's unavoidable at that point to go 11-1 and one with this group, the way that they've done it. Well, let's see how they get there first before I agree or disagree with that take. I mean, it's been – I don't think he's done a bad job by any means. Um, I just – it's been such a – I don't want to say unremarkable 5-1 and one because it's been eventful. But oh, yes. The, the resume itself is, is what it is. They played one good team and they lost to them. Right. Most important game the rest of the way. It's USC or Stanford. Uh, Stanford, because Stanford, we don't know what they'll look like by the end of the year, but like that's a team that would be capable of, well, I think a lot of people are capable of beating Notre Dame, but that's a game where like there could be a lot on the line for Notre Dame going into that, and Stanford has ruined many a Notre Dame and other team seasons when there's a lot on the line. Um, I'm going to say USC because... I think to steal an old cliche, the next game is the most important one and it's coming out of a bye and it's coming out of a bye of a first half of a season that has been very uneven. And it's against a USC team that I don't really, I mean, they haven't played well, but like. Still no, got, no, they haven't. But it, 
if you took two random coaches from different parts of the country and show them each roster and said, which one will you choose? You would get some, if not a lot of USC answers. Like there are always players on that team. It's a rivalry game. USC for whatever reason has played a lot better lately on the road than they have at home. Um, it's going to be a night game. Um, I still think Notre Dame's good enough to overlook anyone. And so if they're mature enough out of the bye week to not just discard USC because they're three and three right now playing with the interim coach, which will be, I think the fifth different USC head coach to coach against Notre Dame during the Brian Kelly era. Um, I, I think this one's really important as far as just starting off the second half on the right foot, because if you play poorly or if you lose, we're not talking about them maybe making a, a, a New Year's six game. We're talking about, are they going to go 500 the rest of the way or are they going to go 10 to the rest of the way? Yeah, I agree with that. It's uh, USC to me is there's also like the recruiting implications of it. Um, it'll be a big recruiting weekend coming off the bye. Like there'll be some pent up excitement. I think an interest in Notre Dame at that point. And you know, if this is if we're going to see quarterback rotation the rest of the way, you get to see more of Tyler Buckner at home. You know, two weeks to prepare. Um, assuming he's healthy with the ankle injury, it's there's just a lot, a lot to that. So I mean, Stanford will be important, but. US, USC to me sets the tone the rest of the way. Like you can go ten and two, and I think like hey, really good season. But it's much harder to go ten and two if you lose the first game of the second half than the last game of the second half, right? Um, you know, speaking of, we're talking about bowl projections. Like CBS Sports has theirs, and I'm just going to list it because it's what I would want to cover. Um, the Fiesta Bowl, January one, Notre Dame versus Michigan. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was thinking Michigan as far as like attractive opponents, attractive possible opponents, um, based on the way the season has played out so far. I mean, based on the first half, I mean, it seems like more likely than not they would face a Big Ten team if they make a New Year's Six game. And I think any of those Big Ten teams are, are fun for their own Spent, different yeah. reasons. It's, like you need Cincinnati to make the playoff, which like eliminates the whole group of five in the New Year's Six because they're in the playoff. Um, and then you need a Big Ten team to make it as well. You know, whether it's Iowa or Ohio State, I'm not sure it really matters. Um, and then you need Georgia to beat. I think you need probably Georgia to beat Alabama. So then Alabama gets kicked down to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, opposed to a, two SEC teams make it. And then the SEC also gets to the Sugar Bowl with like Arkansas or Ole Miss or somebody like that. Um, so that's – that would be my – if I'm Notre Dame, that that is my dream bowl game. Uh the Fiesta Bowl against Michigan as somebody who peach covers Peach is Notre the only Dame. other option, right? The Peach is Not the other option. But look, Atlanta or the Camelback Inn? <laughs> this is not it's not really a discussion to have. Um that, that that's that is a very, very easy choice, as I, I'm sure you can back me up on. Brian Kelly can arm wrestle Jim Harbaugh for the oh right to God. So good. God. Just give give me all of the Brian Kelly Jim Harbaugh joint press conferences. God. It'd be beautiful. This has been a very cool for a guy who entered the year on the hot seat and is undefeated, it's remarkable how quiet Ann Arbor has been this year. Yeah. Right? Like nationally, I feel like there was a time not too long ago where if Jim Harbaugh so much as looked at someone sideways on the sideline, it was like the top story on every network covering college football. And now it's like, oh, yeah, they're undefeated. Yeah, so is Michigan State. Yeah, so is Iowa. They still got to play Ohio State. They still got to play Penn State. Like – 
it's just been very like meh. It probably served them well so far, but um, that that's going to be a fun race to watch in the second half of the season. The big yeah, it, yeah, it you've gamed that out a little bit. Probably Michigan loses to Ohio State. You'd have this eleven and zero season that ended potentially eleven and two with losses to Ohio State and Notre Dame. Like uh, they, they still got to go. Does to that happy. get Jim Harbaugh anywhere? I think you're being very. They still got to go to Happy Valley. They still got to oh. go to East Lansing, which is. I, I don't care what the records are, and they're both going to be damn good when they play. They'll probably yep. both be undefeated. Uh, that's always a tough game. I mean, he lost to a two-win Michigan team, Michigan State team last year. Um, and I would say the same for Michigan State and Penn State as well. Both those teams, as good as they played, would not surprise me if we look up at the end of the year and they're both 8-4. and four. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that one. Uh, and then that gets us to the prediction, the final regular season record. I want, I want to do a quick exercise really quickly to show like just how crazy everything has been so far. I went back and looked at the Bet MGM over-under win totals for each of Notre Dame's second-half opponents to show just how unpredictable this has been and how some of them literally can't be achieved. Um, USC's was nine. They're three and three. They're not <laughs> around the table. Here's a good one. Carolina was 10. Oh, they're God. three and three. They're already eliminated. Virginia was six. They're four and two, thanks to two back-to-back weeks on the road where the home team missed field goals at the buzzer. Um, Virginia also got smoked by North Carolina. Navy's was three. They're one and four, but seemed like they turned a corner. Stanford's was four. They're three and three. They're going to get that. Georgia Tech was four and a half. They're three and three. I think they're going to get it. And Notre Dame was nine. They're five and one. Um, so that's that's uh, what we're dealing with here in the second half. My prediction, you want record prediction? Record prediction, re- yes. Five and one, 10 and two overall. All right, th- this is too flawed a football team for me to, and, and, and not just flawed, but so much has to go right in so many different places from a simple health standpoint, which outside of the left tackle spot in tight end this past week has worked in Notre Dame's favor. Um, that usually doesn't happen in the sport of football. And Notre Dame has barely gone to five to one with that mostly good luck on their side. Um, I think in totality, the competition is probably on par with what they faced in the first half of the season, if not better. Um, and I think ultimately they get got by at least one of these teams. I'll, I'll go five and one, ten and two overall. So who's the who's the one? Uh, right now, I would say Stanford. I'm with you. I think they'll go ten and two. Uh, I think that, but I think they will beat USC and North Carolina. Navy is not good, um, and Notre Dame's like equipped to beat Navy. Like mm-hmm. they've. They have a bunch of Gerber Martinis running around with Drew White, Bo Bauer, and Jimmy Bertrand. It's like they'll be fine. Um, Jack Kaiser as well. Uh, Georgia Tech is bad. I don't. It's like you lost to Northern Illinois. I'm not forgiving that. Um, and then four and so that, two Northern Illinois, which their over under was three this year. So Thomas Hammock is living well. I I will flip it and say that somehow like Notre Dame is upset in a trap game at Virginia, but Virginia. then turns around and beats Stanford. Like Virginia is. Like has a lot of trap game qualities to me, and a, an offense that or a quarterback. Have who you can put seen up a, Brennan Armstrong? Yeah, he's crazy. Thrown for four hundred yards a game. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, we sort of have a ongoing like, who's the best quarterback Notre Dame's going to play? Like, is it a competition between Brennan Armstrong and Desmond Ritter with Tanner McKee as a sidebar? Like, 
forget Sam Howell and Keaton Slovis. Like they're not good all of a sudden. So that uh, I feel like Virginia has a lot of like, oh, this could be a really tricky spot <coughs> because who gets up to play Virginia? Nobody. Uh, you know, even no, the 2015 team like just barely escaped there for barely escaped and a lot of different reasons. The 2019, I mean, they were losing at halftime and offensively didn't do anything that game. It was a defense that right. turned the game with a couple defensive touchdowns. Um, you, you mentioned right I want to bring up something, and I, I'm more curious to hear your opinion because you saw him play live, and I watched that game uh, very closely. I run our Heisman straw poll at the Athletic. He is uh, finishing the top three in back-to-back weeks. This week, the highest-ranked quarterback for the Heisman. I like the guy. I think he's a very good college football player. I, to see him under the Heisman umbrella is just really too much for me right now. Yeah, there was he was not that he was good. He's not that good. Uh, I I'm I'm with you. Very good college quarterback, and there is a lot to be said for being a really good college quarterback. Um, because Notre Dame has not had really good college quarterback play every game this season. Um, you know, I think Ritter is he's probably deceptively athletic to you know get into the Pat Connaughton world of uh, euphemisms, but like. Yeah, the deep ball was pretty good, but just kind of inconsistent throwing. Um, like, I would, I'd take him in a second if I was Notre yeah. Dame. But, like, uh, Heisman, that's 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 the territory of Kenny Pickett, not Desmond Ritter. <laughs> Who Notre Dame hopefully won't see till, uh the end of this season um, in a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, I, I bring that up not to, like, hate or anything. Like, it does feel like... And who knows? Maybe there's a whole half of the season to play. If he gets Cincinnati a playoff, I don't care what his stats are. I'll have no problem seeing him there in New yeah. York at the end of the year. Uh, that would be the Heisman level achievement for him. Right. Forget like touchdowns, yards, whatever. They do feel like like this does tend to take on. When you're not one, I feel like on people's ballots, it's like, who's the best player in the country? And that's like, all right, who's got the lifetime achievement award? Who's had the best career? And... Like he's had a phenomenal career. Like hats off to him. Um, I did not see a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback at Notre Dame a couple weeks ago. I saw a damn good quarterback, but yes, not Heisman. I'm yeah, I'm a, I'm in a hundred percent agreement on that. So I don't know if if you have a, a write-in candidate for uh, a Notre Dame at midseason, share it now or forever hold your peace in for what, Las Vegas. What's, what's the award? <laughs> it can be whatever you want it to be. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, no, I think I think we have outcovered it. Um, we we spent a lot of time talking about every opponent. I think other in North Carolina, and I think that's going to be also a really interesting one because that's one team that you truly never know who's going to show up week to week. Um, I think they put up fifty nine points on Virginia this year and got destroyed by Georgia Tech. So as far as so as far as like basis for comparison for Notre Dame, there really isn't a good one because it's just all over the board. Um, as Notre Dame themselves have been so far this season. I do want to point out, uh, I'm agreeing with Envy this morning, um, ESPN College Basketball launched a uh, podcast called Bald Men on Campus featuring LaFont Ellis. Outrageous. Yeah, we should have trademarked that, well, or Domes on Domers when we had the chance, but we'll, we'll get them back someday. Yeah, all right. Well, we're going to have to settle for the shamrock. Uh, <laughs> we, we appreciate all of our listeners, our growing audience as well. Um, as our metrics indicate, so we growing we, hair, we, no, growing audience. <laughs> yes, just a growing audience. Um, 
So on that note, we'll wrap up this uh, our Notre Dame midseason episode of the Shamrock. Um, you can check us out at the Athletic. I don't know the last person that gave us a review, so I'll just if you're listening, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a review, five stars, please. Thanks. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun doing this podcast this season because hey, we're covering a completely ridiculous college football team that is. <laughs> We just don't know what we're going to see on a week-to-week basis, which makes the second half of the season pretty fun. And also is probably why we both need to recharge quite a bit on the bye week. Oh, you know what? That reminds me. I don't know how I didn't bring this up earlier. I got a good prop for you. Uh, number of Jack Cohn starts in the second half of the season. Ooh. Um, six. Hmm. I, th- I think he starts every game. You? Five. I can't go six. That requires too much health. That requires too many wins. Um, and I, just, I just think with three guys there that have played a lot, I just to pick any one of them to start six straight games. I just can't bring myself to do that. So I'll go five. All right. We'll file that away for our uh, postseason podcast when I'm recording it with a view of the Pacific Ocean uh, over Thanksgiving weekend. Not to, not to rush ahead. It's, I'm not saying that I'm looking forward to that already, but I am looking forward to that already. All right. That's this episode of The Shamrock. Thanks for joining us as we uh, review Notre Dame at midseason. We'll be back next week uh, to get into USC uh, and see where Notre Dame goes from here. So until then, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock.